At the moment, the Homeland Security Department has so many top management openings, it looks like Swiss cheese. Presuming that's a temporary condition, it's safe to say the department has been making steady progress on how it manages itself. It's still on the Government Accountability Office's high-risk list, but maybe not for too much longer. Joining me with what he's found, the GAO's Director of Homeland Security and Justice Issues, Chris Curry. Chris, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. And your report goes into depth on the idea of Homeland Security on the high-risk list, which came out a few weeks ago. But uh, you're pretty optimistic, it sounds, from reading the report that they are making progress toward integrating and operating as a unified department. What are your chief findings? Yeah, Tom, I mean, we're optimistic, but this is after 16 years of steady progress by DHS. So I I don't want to make this sound too drastic. DHS has done a good job over that long time period of inching its way towards getting off. Um, So we actually have 30 measures that we hold DHS accountable for. And DHS agrees with these, too, and they hold themselves accountable to these measures. And they've passed 50% mark. They've implemented 17 of those 30 measures in those 30 areas that um, they have to address to get off the high-risk list. And then they're also making progress towards others. But, um, and that's a big but, um, they have a, a couple really tough issues to address left to go. And what are the toughest issues they have left to address? Really, the, the tough ones fall in the area of acquisition management and financial management. And I'll talk first a little bit about acquisitions. Um, DHS has done a really good job since its creation of implementing more discipline in its acquisition processes. So what I mean by that is they have centralized processes to oversee the components to make sure they're not pursuing acquisitions that don't have good requirements um, or going to cost more than they think. Um, They've implemented good processes, but we still haven't seen enough acquisitions actually successfully go through that process without major cost overruns or schedule overruns. When we looked at DHS's major acquisitions about a year ago, we still found that about half of them are going to cost more and take longer uh, than DHS initially thought. Yeah, so do they have a plan, in your view, to get after that issue in the long term? Yeah, well, the plan is to, is to keep implementing discipline on, on the components, and they have taken steps to do that. For example, uh, they have these DHS-wide bodies, for example, the Joint Requirements Council that's supposed to look across all the components and make sure that each of the components are developing good requirements for these programs early on in these acquisitions so we don't face problems later. If you have good requirements early on, then there's a, there's a better chance that the acquisition is going to do what you want it to do later, and you're going to know what it's going to cost to develop that early on, so it's not going to cost more later. Um, so they have all the processes in place to oversee that, but what we see is when the acquisitions go through that process, they still have problems later on. But it sounds like some discipline was exercised just this last week when they canceled a contract. Customs and Border Protection canceled a contract for hiring agents because they've been hammering at this issue of getting enough people that Congress has authorized on staff. And there's still thousands and thousands of short of people short. So by terminating the contract, it doesn't get them closer to the goal, but at least it stops them spending on getting towards that goal. That's a great point, and we've seen we've seen a few high-profile contracts over the last few years where that's happened, where DHS has gotten to a point where it realized that um, it wasn't going to be able to the acquisition wasn't going to be able to do what they thought it was going to do, and they canceled it. And let me be clear: I mean that that is a very important step. I think in the old days of DHS, when they first started, they might continue trying to pursue those contracts even if they even if they weren't working later on down the road. So it does show discipline that they're able to cancel contracts. However, 
what we want to see is we want to see uh, acquisitions and contracts be successful. And one of the ways to do that is you know, to know how much they're going to cost up front and what they're actually going to be able to do instead of getting in this position where you find out later that you're not going to be able to do what you originally thought. It sounds like there's a gap maybe in their contract management and maybe in the ranks of contracting officers' representatives. Yeah, and that's been another issue at DHS, too, with the acquisitions program uh, in their capacity area. And that's another area that we really evaluate them is, do they have the people with the skills and the expertise uh, in the contracting offices, not just at DHS uh, headquarters, but also within the components to do a good job of, of managing these contracts? And what we'd like to see, uh, you know, we really uh, pound on the whole issue of uh, cost estimates and, and schedule overruns. You know, it's not uncommon for contracts in the government to cost more than you think and, and take longer. But what's critical is that you just have a more realistic estimate of that up front. And I'll tell you why. Because if you don't have a good estimate of the cost and how long it's going to take up front, and you're budgeting for these contracts years down the road, um, what's going to happen later on is you're not going to have enough money to cover these contracts when they cost more and they take longer than you think. So that creates a big problem. We're speaking with Chris Curry, Director of Homeland Security and Justice Issues at the Government Accountability Office. And let's talk about financial management for a moment, the other big bugaboo that's keeping them on the high-risk list. Absolutely, yeah. That, that is the, the really the second piece, acquisitions and the financial management issues. And let me, let me start with the good news and the progress. So DHS just recently uh, received its sixth annual clean audit opinion on its financial statements. Uh, that is a major accomplishment, something it wasn't able to do in its first 10 years. Um, and it's really uh, pretty impressive that they're able to do this given uh, the state of some of their financial management systems. And it's some of those financial management systems that are really keeping them on the high-risk list. Some of those systems, for example, FEMA's system is over 25 years old. Um, it is a cobbled-together uh, system of numerous grant systems, financial systems, um, and what happens is, you know, it's really, really difficult for DHS to produce good, timely, and accurate uh, financial information. Right now, they're really relying on a, a ton of hard work and manual intervention uh, to make that all come together in those financial statements. But that's just not something that's sustainable over the long term. Sure. And I want to ask you, too, about this current turmoil. There are a lot of openings at DHS, and not just the secretary who departed for whatever reasons last week, but you also now have an opening at Customs and Border Protection. There's no chief financial officer. That might help get financial systems under control. Does does this current situation of having all of these holes, do you think, hinder their ability to gel managerially in the long term? Oh, absolutely. Of course it does. Um, every time you have new folks coming in at the high levels and then at the components, you know, they have to relearn sort of the key management challenges and, and recommit to them. However, Tom, knock on wood, um, over the last decade, you know, we've seen a lot of changes. Different administrations come in at DHS. And there has been a, a very consistent um, you know, sense of commitment to getting off of GAO's high risk list. One of the reasons we put issues on the high risk list is to continue to elevate the concerns we have in a consistent way to the agencies, not just the agencies, but Congress. And Congress plays a key role here, too. Congress provides that consistent oversight and accountability um, in reminding agency leaderships that, that this is a top priority. So, 
you know, we've seen we've seen pretty routine standard commitment to this over the last six to ten years. And, you know, working with a lot of the career folks over at DHS, uh, I don't expect that to change. Yeah, that was a good point. I think that with all of the turno- turnover and turmoil at the political ranks, if there's a good solid career group of people in place in financial management, in acquisition and so forth – they can keep that flame burning even as the people at the top come and go. Absolutely. And this is something – I mentioned the 30 outcomes that we use to hold DHS accountable. Um, you know, I, I think that if you talk to the CFOs or the chief acquisitions officers, even within the components, they could probably name for you those outcomes off the top of their head by memory at this point. We meet with DHS quarterly. Uh, we meet with the components quarterly as well to talk about these outcomes. So this is something that over, you know, remember we have 16 years of this under our belt. So this is something that's really been drilled down into the very lowest levels of the components. So you know, I, I don't think uh, commitment to high-risk management is going anywhere. And part of this is, you know, it, it's a pride issue too. I think DHS really wants to get off the high-risk list. So every new group of folks that comes in makes it their goal to try to, try to be the ones to get off the list. Chris Curry is Director of Homeland Security and Justice Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Find a link to his report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. You can listen to the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.